Hi, I'm Michaela Tranfield. I'm 21 years old, I'm from London. And like many of us during the pandemic, I've been looking for more ways to get creative and stay connected. I love creativity. It helps with my wellbeing and keeps me inspired, which is why I've teamed up with 64 million artists to prove that no matter who you are or what you do, you are creative too. So I've made it my mission through Zoom to virtually interview all 64 million artists in the UK to see how we can all introduce a bit more creativity into our lives. And I'm starting with a mini-series. This series runs alongside the January Challenge 2021, an annual celebration of creativity hosted by 64 million artists. The January Challenge is 31 days of creative challenges that have been crowdsourced and co-created by the public. This year, we've enlisted the help of three inspiring creative people to help make the January Challenge bigger and better than ever. Lem Sisei, Yomi Adegoke, and Jess Tom. All three of them have selected their 31 favorite challenges from your submissions. You can sign up to do Lem, Yomi, or Jess's challenges, or even a mixture of all three of them, on our website at 64millionartists.com. I'll be chatting to each of our curators as well as the CEO of 64 million artists to gain an insight into how they chose their creative challenges and how we can all be a little bit more creative each day. We'll be audio describing ourselves at the beginning of each episode to help make the experience as accessible as possible. On today's episode, I'm talking to Jess Tom, another one of our guest collaborators and curators for the January Challenge. We were discussing how creativity can help you to deal with discrimination and systemic barriers, as well as the potential of creativity to create spaces where normative processes can be adjusted to new accessible ways of being. I felt incredibly inspired and informed by our conversation, and I hope that you will be too. I'm Michaela Tranfield, I'm a South Asian woman living in London, and I'm currently sitting in a blue room with my brother's revision notes on the walls. Hello, I'm Jess Tom. I'm a 40-year-old white woman of average build with short, curly brown hair and a very cool wheelchair. I am sitting in a room surrounded by artwork. Biscuit. Cats. Biscuit. I also have Tourette's syndrome, which means I make movements and noises I can't control called ticks. Biscuit. Cats. So you'll hear the word biscuit and hedgehog a lot during this podcast. Sausage. You might also hear the sound of my chest being banged by my fist. Ta-da! Biscuit. Cats. I am one of the 10% of people with Tourette's who have obscene tics. Biscuit. Cats. So if you hear any rude words, that's why. Ta-da! Fuck a sheep. Biscuit. Welcome everyone to the 64 Million Artists podcast. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by one of our amazing guest collaborators for the January Challenge 2021, Jess Tom, also known as Tourette's Hero. Jess is a theatre maker, a performer and a comedian, as well as the co-founder of Tourette's Hero, a project which celebrates creativity and the humour of Tourette's. Jess, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be here. It's really lovely to be having a conversation about the January challenge. Biscuit. Definitely. I'm so excited too. So just as we start our podcast, I want to try and define what the word creativity means. It's so wide ranging and it means things to different people. So if I said creativity is, how would you respond? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Personal, playful, 
I'd say creativity is something that sits intrinsically within people and Mm. I believe that everyone's creative. I think that creativity and play are really connected and that as children, that idea of doing things that are exploring our surroundings and exploring the world in playful ways, I think is really natural. I think we have to be careful to not let our innate creativity Mm. get squashed by the world routines and messages that we get from our surroundings. And so hanging on to creativity and connecting to our creativity, I think can massively enrich and transform our our lives. It certainly did for me. Definitely. And sometimes, Jess, I feel that I'm still like a five-year-old at heart in terms of my creativity. You know, I'm still that inner child. And what you said about us all being intrinsically creative is so true. Because as we go on that process of our lives, sometimes we lose that. There's different challenges and, you know, we have to work. There's so many things that we have to face. I think we also get used to the idea that creativity has to result in a product or be Mm. a thing that we produce or that to be creative means being good at creating things that look a certain way. But actually creativity for me is the process of being curious and playful and following things, biscuit, that interest me. I'm really interested in how creativity can fit in the in-between bits of our lives, as Mm -hmm. well as being something that is a task or things that we actively engage in. I also like the idea of how we can fit creativity into our routine. So make everything have like a creative driver behind it oh I love that idea (laughs) I just love the idea of fitting it into your routine but yeah I think there is something that we learn or I'm really interested in undoing some of that messaging that maybe we learn as we get older which is about the idea that creativity has to mean doing things well Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than creativity being a sort of experimental process Yeah, it feels like it's a common theme that's come up in so many of the podcast episodes so far, is that the process of being creative is often so much better than the final product. And just because we've been, I guess, conditioned into thinking that what's best is the final product, we don't often see how good the process is. So I guess just just on the topic of things being creative in the in-between bits of of your day is there anything that you've done today that has inspired you or how have you been creative so far today hedgehog well i think i'm lucky in lots of ways in that having tourette syndrome means that i have access to a spontaneous creativity that i don't think i would otherwise biscuit that's an element of how my brain works that i'm not in control of perhaps historically maybe i would have understand that as a a disruption or an interruption but actually i think that the way my tics interrupt or disrupt my routines or expectations is often really interesting Mm -hmm. can be quite funny and yeah means that i sometimes have to do things in maybe non-normative ways but that can mean that i find new solutions or new ways of doing things that are great and i think that biscuit The challenge that I created for the January challenge was sort of inspired by the conversations that I have with my lamppost that I see Mm -hmm. from my bedroom window, Biscuit. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely a way that I'm creative most days is by my tics in voluntarily chatting to inanimate objects in my surroundings, particularly the lamppost, Biscuit (laughs) and the geranium, and sometimes the stars. But it means that I 
notice details in my surroundings that I wouldn't otherwise. And it took me a long time to recognize the sort of value of that type of creativity, of creativity that maybe is a bit more disruptive or unpredictable, but going going with that and valuing that and using that as a starting point for other forms of creative energy has massively transformed not only my sort of practice as an artist but also like the way I live my life and Mm. I I feel like the way that we talk about creativity matters and Mm. I think it can be really easy to be turned off from being creative or internalize some ideas like I I often hear people say oh I'm not very good at drawing or I'm not very good it's like that those messages that maybe we get told at some point during our journey to adulthood that we then just take on as facts and actually Mm. I like the idea of challenging some of those ideas. And I think that that's where the January challenge is really interesting because it means that you are exposed to lots of different forms of creativity and ways of making and provocations to action. And I hope that maybe it will help people reconnect with things that they might have stepped away from or ruled out for themselves before. Mm, that's so interesting to me because on Yomi's episode that we did a little while ago we were talking about how people think that because they're not good at something they shouldn't do it and often you need to do the things that you're not good at you know I might not be the best painter but I can still really really enjoy that process and that activity and we need to bring about a way of thinking where it's fine to do things that you're not good at that's a creative process in itself so do you have any like moments that you can draw on where maybe someone's told you oh you're not good at this but then you've rediscovered it yeah and I I suppose interestingly so my experiences at school particularly at primary school were quite challenging I didn't necessarily have a diagnosis of Tourette's at that point but I did have other diagnoses and I did have tics and I did have quite unpredictable and unusual ways of behaving and I found learning really difficult and I love stories and I love writing but I just found that really challenging like lots of children and young people the way that I was being taught to do things just didn't work for me and so for a long time I was just encouraged to draw pictures instead Mm -hmm. so I had definitely taken on the idea that I was bad at writing and I carried that through for many, many years. And actually, when we started Tourette's Zero and I started writing a daily blog, one of the things that really surprised me was how much I enjoyed writing, how much I enjoyed the process of thinking about what I was going to write and how much that helped me to process and reframe things that were part of my daily experience or things that were happening in, in my life at that point. And writing has remained a key way of me making sense of the world. But Mm. for a long time, I'd just taken on the idea that it wasn't something that I could do or that it was something that I found hard. And I was so used to failing at school that I stopped trying at a certain point. And Mm. particularly if those messages are coming from people who have authority or expertise, then they can be really powerful messages. I think the other side of that that's really interesting is how I got the message that I was good at drawing Mm -hmm. and that I was good at creating things visually. And I was given lots of extra time to -hmm. do that. (laughs) Uh, And that continued into my secondary education where, you know, I didn't learn languages, but I Mm. had extra art. And so I think that love of drawing and image making was embedded through aspects that relate to my impairments and Mm -hmm. experience of disability. And it's interesting thinking back now and seeing how that, that shaped 
the choices that I've made or my sort of creative practice, sausage, biscuit. As in my relationship with drawing is interesting because it's something that has always been, I've always really loved doing, but I found it increasingly hard to do over the last 10, 15 years as my ticks in my arms became more prevalent and meant that any time that I was doing a really great drawing, but then I would tick and it would muck it up and it needed lots of paper and lots of patience. Mm -hmm. And so it became maybe a less enjoyable process. And then like a year ago, Biscuit to Rep Zero as a company bought me an iPad to work with. And I started drawing on, on my iPad mm -hmm. and because it had an undo button, if I moved involuntarily, that was really easy to change. And it's that mm -hmm. technology has opened up a whole new way of creating images for me that I thought I could no longer do. I feel really excited by how we can connect both with ways of making stuff, but also like the tools that might help us do things in different ways. Biscuit, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, Sausage. for sure. I, you know, just as you were talking, it just reminded me of word art poetry. So have you ever seen poetry so, where it will be in the shape biscuit. of something? And I feel like that's so cool because it combines these two things that you are really passionate about. And yes. the good thing about poetry is that it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. It makes <laughs> sense to you. You're creatively inspired. And so you can draw a picture and have a poem inside of it. Have you ever tried that before? Biscuit. I've never tried word art poetry like that, that's sort of in that shape, but I have started combining words, poems, writing and images. And I've really only started doing that during lockdown. And I think I started doing it during the Biscuit, the Claps for Carers back in March and April. And there was this weekly collective act of connection and expression of thanks and bearing witness to what was happening. There was something about that moment that also as someone who was shielding and felt quite invisible, I wasn't leaving my house at all. So I was worried in a way that I felt like I was almost gonna disappear. Mm -hmm. Those claps for carers became really important to me at that point in time. And I created a drawing for each week. And then some of those drawings, I did start incorporating writing into them. And it feels like creating visual imagery and weaving in ideas, thoughts, feelings felt really relevant. And I think for me, Tourette's Hero exists really because of a sentence that helped unlock my creativity. So mm -hmm. my friend uh, and co-founder of Tourette's Hero, Matthew, over a decade ago, described Biscuit Tourette's as a crazy language generating machine mm -hmm. and told me that not doing something creative with it would be wasteful. Mm -hmm. And up until that point, I'd find it really hard to think of or talk about Tourette's without getting upset, without finding that distressing. And that was the first time I really, really was able to connect and allow myself, Biscuit, to start thinking of Tourette's in a more creative way and to think that it might have value. It's interesting to me that sometimes it's not just about what's said, but how, how it is said. I was able mm -hmm. to hear that. Uh, and so the creativity of Matthew's connection with my Tourette's, like his creativity in thinking about it as a machine helped unlock not only my own relationship with ticks, but like transformed my life and well-being that came off the back of that. Biscuit, I've recently, as a disabled person, as someone who experiences barriers in their life and experiences systemic oppression and barriers, that can feel really exhausting and really draining. Mm -hmm. As a physically disabled person, I have grab rails that I reach for when I'm feeling physically wobbly. And so recently I've started to also think about the emotional grab rails, like little ideas, like mm. 
to act as a crazy language generating machine or that we can take a socialist approach to energy and not count every hour that we put in the energy we've got and we make stuff work with that. As someone who experiences chronic fatigue, like suddenly having that, that creative nugget of an idea is something that I can reach for when I'm feeling really overwhelmed or beaten down or worn out or exhausted by the barriers I experience. So I think that there is creativity in how we use language and some of that is about creating poems or about creating writing or about creating plays and some of it is also about how we connect with each other and help each other connect to our own experiences mm. of creativity i hope that as a disabled artist making work and being visible and some of what i want to do is make sure other people know that that's a possibility for them mm. risk it I love that Matthew phrased it as a language generator, like a random language generator, and that he was able to connect to your tics in a really creative way. Because I guess that's what the function of Tourette's Hero is, right? You're helping other people around the country, around the world, to also connect to your tics in a creative way as well. So are there any of your favourite moments about... Tourette's Hero and how it first started, the whole process. What are your favourite moments about it? Well, all of that, all of that idea, everything that's come from Tourette's Hero came from that conversation that we had in Matthew's kitchen and came Mm -hmm. from him saying something in a creative way that helped me connect with something that I had previously ruled out. And so it's how I know that what we say to each other really matters and that small ideas can have a big impact. When we started Tourette's Zero, it felt really risky. It was like we had no idea it would grow into the organisation that it's become, but it, it felt risky at that moment to, to acknowledge the humour and creativity of Tourette's. And we didn't know how other people would re- respond. And I suppose part of creativity for me is being ready to nurture those unexpected outcomes and take creative risks. People within the arts sector love talking mm-hmm. about creative risk-taking. I think it is also important to acknowledge that taking risks and taking creative risks is a privilege and that as a disabled person I feel like I take lots of risks with my body and identity that I don't really have much choice about and there's a big difference between trying something and not knowing how it's going to come out and putting elements of your health and well-being on the line and so everything that we do through Tourette's Zero is to try and reduce barriers to creativity and Mm -hmm. to help people connect with their own creativity and other people's creativity and with each other, I think art is a really powerful catalyst for change. And I think we talk about that idea a lot within Tourette's Zero, but I think a really good example of that is when we created a stage show backstage in Biscuitland, Biscuit, Mm -hmm. which was our first theatre show. And I really made that show and performed that in that show with Matthew and my co-performer, Jess Mabel Jones, who's an amazing puppeteer because I had difficulty being in an audience, because I'd had a really difficult experience where I'd been asked to move and sit separately during a a theatre show. Despite having done loads of prep and being introduced to the audience, and we'd done all of this thing right, and it still ended in me being segregated. And I found Mm. that really upsetting. And in that moment, I promised myself that I would never go to the theatre again. But actually, it's not a promise I kept. And instead, I was supported mm-hmm. to occupy the only seat in the house. I knew I wouldn't be asked to leave on stage mm. and make a theatre show about my experiences. <laughs> and it was called Backstage in Biscuitland. And we took it to the Edinburgh Fringe. 
And I think that what really surprised me was how other people engaged with that and mm. wanted to make their work more accessible as a result. And that it went on to tour like nationally and internationally and have an impact that I could never have imagined. Mm. And I think that it was able to do that because it was funny and joyful and a creative expression and because it communicated our powerful belief that if you make art inclusive and accessible, you make it stronger, you make it better, mm. you make the art better. It's not something, Biscuit, that should be added on at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, access requirements are creative tools that you can use in really interesting ways. Biscuit. Yeah. First. Going back to what we were saying at the start about the process being more creative than the final product often, I think that's really a testament First. to what you were doing with Backstage or Biscuitland. It meant that people could be part of that creative process and I think also because in that performance it was a Fair. relaxed performance right so yes. it meant that a lot of people could connect in different ways that they couldn't do with theatre and the formal art sector what was the impact of that on you and maybe also the audience members that attended so relaxed performances are a way of describing and identifying shows that take a relaxed approach to noise and movement coming from the audience they offer a particularly warm welcome to people who might find it difficult to follow the usual traditions of theatre etiquette. And they give everyone the sort of freedom to respond naturally. Often when you talk about relaxed performances for people who haven't experienced them, they maybe think that that would be quite disruptive or it'd be anarchy. You know, if you relax the rules, there'll be total chaos. Actually, there isn't. Mm -hmm. it, there isn't anarchy, but it does allow space and it does allow room for inclusivity. And I think that one of the things that surprised me about relaxed performance is that often when people experience it, they suddenly get it. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that's why it was important to create the show, because it's much easier for people to experience it than to describe it. And I think the other thing that really surprised me was that I know that I have relaxed performance as an access requirement. I find it hard to go to theatre shows that aren't relaxed, and certainly without having to do lots of extra labour to feel mm. safe going to them. But what I think surprised me was that there are also lots of people who can follow the traditional rules of theatre etiquette. They can be still and quiet and wait till the intermission to go to the toilet. They can follow those rules but it isn't necessarily the most comfortable or enjoyable way of them mm. accessing live performance. So there are lots of people who wouldn't identify as disabled or say that they have that as an access requirement who find relaxed performances are the way that they like to enjoy theatre. That speaks back to that idea of not just going with the way that things have come to be enjoyed or experienced or like are the normative ideas of what mm. creativity looks like. It goes back to that idea we talked about at the beginning, which is, for me, creativity is being willing or allowing space to tweak the rules, to adjust how you do things, adjust processes, to continually explore and develop new ways of being. Yeah, I completely agree. You know what, with theatre, often the conversation is that things have to be traditional and I think you know what my first experience of seeing that things can actually change was some of the Shakespeare performances I watched I think it was at theatre in Hackney and I saw Hamlet being portrayed in another way and I think it was also maybe Twelfth Night was portrayed in a different way and there was loads of dancing and, and singing and I never thought that Shakespeare could be like that and I love that what you've tried to do in your 
performances and your creative activities is really just switch the mindset and the view towards traditional performances so do you find that a lot of young people attend your performances and they engage with it or what's the kind of like audience demographic there is it really mixed we're really interested in mixing up audiences and to mix people who love theater with people who love music or people who love the disability art scene we love getting different people in a room and creating spaces that are flexible and adaptable and can be worked for a variety of bodies and minds. Biscuit, I think increasingly as participatory and performance artists, we've increasingly started to talk about the feeling in the room being part of the art we create. That feeling of being open, curious, playful, safe, accepted as you are, that's what we're always trying to create in any piece of art or performance that we make. And I think the fact that mixing up audience is part of that. Biscuit, our most recent stage show was a neurodiverse presentation of Samuel Beckett's Not I. And that's mm-hmm. like a really established play that's like part of the canon and is a really intense Biscuit piece of theatre. We wanted to claim the character of Mouth as a disabled character, mm-hmm. understand her experiences from that perspective and demonstrate that you can make an intense piece of theatre accessible at every level to performer and audience without compromising or reducing the intensity of the piece or the effectiveness of the piece and part of that was also mixing audiences up Mm -hmm. mixing up people who love Beckett's work with people who love disability arts with people who love rhyme music and gig references Mm -hmm. felt important for us for that piece of work what was also interesting about Not I and the difference between Not I and Backstage and Biscuitland certainly as disabled artists there's often quite a lot of pressure to make work that's educative Mm. that assumes a non-disabled audience um, and assumes that that's who you're speaking to first and i think in some ways backstage in biscuitland did fall into that model not i definitely didn't and there was a Mm. key point where we realized that actually you were going to get more out of our presentation of that piece if you had a lived experience of barriers Mm. it didn't mean that it couldn't be enjoyed by non-disabled people but it wasn't necessarily for them first. I think that that is important to think about as an artist, like who you're speaking to and why. And of course we wanted everybody to enjoy that, but it does also matter sometimes to speak to a specific group first. We're used to saying, oh, this is for everyone. But actually I know as a disabled person, everyone often doesn't include me or doesn't include Mm. me fully. Um, And so there's something really powerful about feeling like you're seen and visible within culture. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a real importance of creating these safe spaces because often people's safe spaces will be around family or friends. But I really love that you're creating a safe space where people can become friends and stay connected in that moment of creativity that you've produced. Do you feel like in in the theatre performances that you've created, do you feel that there is a sense of community and connection? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think giving and receiving solidarity and feeling part of a community and having creative tools to draw on when things feel tough has really been a key part of what art gives to me and what creativity gives to me and what it continues to add to my life and why I love it. I think it's interesting you talk about family because actually as disabled people often Family isn't necessarily the safest space. I think the dominance of negative ideas around disability is so prevalent within our society. And families can often want to protect people from those challenges, or there's an idea that 
you minimize the impairment or you overcome it or like if you're Mm. if you're a disabled child being raised in a family of non-disabled people it can be easy to take on and internalize some of those negative ideas and that's not coming intentionally that's coming from a place of love but actually some of what often disabled adults need to do in connecting with each other is to understand and unpick some of those internalized ideas that we get about what being a good disabled person Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. and obviously there isn't a good disabled person but Mm -hmm. that's it's often presented as you have to not be willing to talk about the the barriers that you experience you have to put up with things you have to overcome them you have to be positive and actually it builds a sort of stereotype and expectations around disability that aren't real and aren't accepting of how our bodies and minds change over time disability culture the art activism academic thinking that comes out of the experience of being a disabled person in a often non-accessible world and the most amazing art has come from that and the most amazing mm. actions have come from that i think you can have very different impairments you can have very different like bodies and minds but have a similar experience of being excluded or having your body problematized that can feel quite similar so for me finding everything that I've learned that's been really useful about being a disabled person has come from other disabled people Mm -hmm. and has often been shared in creative ways and in creative spaces it's also been really powerful for me to bring my family along for that ride and to Mm -hmm. share disabled artists work with them I think helped them understand my experiences and requirements better so i definitely think that visibility within cultural spaces and like not just on the stage or in front Mm. of the camera but also like telling our stories in our way is really important i completely agree i think i heard you say in another podcast that it's so important that people are able to share their lived experiences because sometimes on tv or in movies there's disabled roles but they're played by non-disabled people and it just feels like that lived experience isn't really shown so yeah i just feel like the arts and creativity that is led and narrated by people who have that experience is so important. And actually, Jess, I remember on the Zoom meeting that we had, you were talking a little bit about chronic pain art. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that and have you showed that to your family or give us a little bit more about what chronic pain art is? Well, so for the last four or five years, I've experienced increasing issues with pain uh, and ongoing pain. And I have found that trying to draw it and give it shape and thinking about such an abstract sensation, but often quite an overwhelming sensation that can be quite dominant in my day, but actually being able to to draw it in really, really varied ways, Biscuit has helped me understand it, track it, make peace with it in some respects, like accept it. And so for me, yeah, drawing has been a really key role for how I engage with that part of my changing experience. Impairment isn't static, like I feel like this get it's an ongoing process of sort of mm-hmm. accepting my body. Tourette's is a fluctuating condition. You get used to one set of ticks and find one set of solutions, something else will get thrown into the mm-hmm. mix. So having tools for how you can manage that and developing your own personal tools for me has been really useful Mm. with Tourette's zero we often talk about biscuit the idea of positive memories as Mm -hmm. protection and positive experiences as protective 
And I think that I'm speaking to that idea that often if you have a body or mind that works in a non-normative way, you will hit barriers. If you have positive experiences where you have been accepted, where your access requirements have been met, where you have been free to create or be yourself exactly as you are, if you have Mm. those experiences to draw on, when you hit barriers and someone is telling you that it's not possible or you can't do something, then you have those experiences to draw on so that you know that actually existing in an inclusive world is possible and Mm. that it's not your body that's the problem, Mm. uh, but it's the way that something is set up to not consider or think about you. So I think that for me, that idea of like protecting people through creativity and through creative acts and through creative events is quite a fundamental idea at the heart of Tourette's Hero. You're really living up to the superhero name, right? Just protecting people. (laughs) Having tools to draw on. Mm. And I think we've talked about that a lot. And then I had an experience a few years ago where I experienced a really intense disability hate crime on a London Mm -hmm. bus. And someone was Mm -hmm. shouting really horrible, violent abuse at me. And afterwards, I felt like I had a creative community to draw on and seek advice for. I had ways of writing about it and processing and making it visible to other people. I had the confidence to report it and know that I didn't have to tolerate that. All of those things had really come through Tourette's Hero and Mm. engaging collectively, creatively and connecting with other people. And I think I was very aware that I wouldn't have had that confidence or same response a few years ago. I think it would have been much more damaging to me. And so in a world where people are going to experience barriers, in a world where there is division and hate, I think it's important to think about how creativity, laughter and humour can be used to connect people together, to encourage us to think differently, but also to give us the skills to speak up when we need to. Yeah. With Tourette's Hero, it is a safe online space for everyone to share these experiences, for people to connect with each other. And I think there's something so like authentic and just calming about people being able to have that community online and that being for them. And so just on the topic of Tourette's Hero, what is your favourite thing about seeing the different creative expressions or seeing that community on the website? I love seeing things that I've said as ticks and maybe even forgot about brought to life by mm-hmm. other people's creativity and talent. There are some amazing images that like one of my favorite ticks is press the space bear. <laughs> uh, so not the space bar, but the space bear. And then mm-hmm. someone submitted an image of that. And it was so lovely to see that brought to life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm constantly surprised by how other people like interpret, change, add layers on. And that speaks to that very first idea None of those images would exist if I hadn't listened to Matthew and chosen not to waste them and to collect them and to make them available to be used biscuit as biscuit springboards for other people's creativity. Mm -hmm. Lots of my ticks involve penguins. I'm a big fan of some (laughs) of them, like replace every chimney in London with a penguin. Mm -hmm. Like some of the images that 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 sort of creates in your head or in the real world is great. And I love seeing how other people interpret and bring Uh things to life. And it feels exciting as, you know, now being a bit older and having worked with disabled children and young people for a long time, I'm starting to see some of those children and young people becoming artists and making Mm -hmm. their own work and having their own practice. And it feels really exciting to know that in whatever way you played a part in helping someone else connect with a creative journey and 
that's why the January challenge is brilliant in my view because mm. it's an opportunity to take time and make an active commitment to reconnect to a part of your creative self when I was curating the challenges I think I was really looking for uh, and drawn to challenges that helped you connect with your surroundings in new ways and helped you notice things in your your surroundings in new ways Mm -hmm. and things that like worked on like multi-sensory levels so that everybody could explore things in different ways so I think that that definitely influenced maybe the sorts of challenges that I was drawn to. Yeah, I I love that, Jess. And speaking of the January challenge, which you're one of our amazing curators for, people have the free reign to do the challenges however they want. You know, that's the great thing about it. And that's how it links to Tourette's Hero and it links to creativity being accessible and individual as well as like a connector. So apart from what you just said, what else can people expect from taking part in your challenges? What do you want them to feel? I want them to feel, I want them to feel happy. In, mm-hmm. I want them to feel connected to the world that they're living in. I want them to feel able to go off on a tangent and follow something that feels exciting or interesting to them. I think it's really important for me that there's no wrong or right way to do any mm-hmm. of the challenges. They're all about like catalysts and springboards for action not knowing where something will take you can feel quite scary but also I think hopefully will lead people to new directions and new understandings it's so lovely at the start of a new year and after a period of like unprecedented upheaval and uncertainty starting the year off biscuit with a commitment to creativity Mm -hmm. feels really strong And I think that the January challenge is always a good idea. I think it's a really good idea uh, (laughs) at this point in time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I am so excited to be doing the challenges myself. I think that it's what everyone needs, right? Like that kind of creative direction, Uh, that time during your day to spend five minutes away from whatever you're facing to do something that helps you to explore something you might have not thought about before. And I guess just on the topic of that as well, if you could describe, um, this is a bit of a creative challenge in itself, but if you could describe the process of choosing your challenges in a word, a picture or an object, what would it be and why? Oh, do you know what? I think it would be a spirograph, like something that felt like there was an order to it and it was like that we were systematic in the process, Mm. but we also didn't know what we were going to get end up with. And Mm. there were loads of, beautiful challenges making up individual lines that are really different to each other but hopefully together they make a shape or an object and give people an experience that's about connecting with their body mind and surrounding in in new ways and valuing their unique perspective on the world Mm. whatever that might be what an amazing thing to describe it as honestly I don't think I I I wouldn't have been able to come up with something like that but yeah I think that's what people can expect and I think it's just so exciting to be in that environment so lastly Jess as we have to bring our podcast episode to a close when we met over zoom a few weeks back you came up with the amazing creative challenge of a new year's revolution as we approach the new year I wanted to ask you what your New Year's revolution is. And for people, that is uh, an affirmation, a cause or a change that you want to see taking place in the new year. I think for my New Year's revolution, I would like to see everybody who needs some help or support 
feeling confident and finding the words to ask for it. And for us to all understand that asking for help isn't a sign of weakness, it's a sign of knowing what we need. And as a disabled person, learning about and understanding that independence doesn't mean you have to do everything for yourself. We are all interconnected and the pandemic has really showed us that. But I would really love for there to be a revolution of understanding that we can support each other actively and we can ask for help and we can be responsive when others ask ask of things of us so i would really like for a revolution around how we understand support and interconnection between human beings what a great way to end what a great way what a great like positive note to end on just remembering that in the new year and just generally honestly not just for the new year but for the future we need to remember to support each other reach out for help and stay connected so Jess thank you so much for joining me today what an amazing conversation it's been thank you so much it's been really lovely cats thanks again to Jess for such an amazing conversation today join me next time where I'll be chatting to another one of our great guest collaborators Yomi Adegake Remember to sign up for the January Challenge 2021 so you can have an opportunity to reconnect with part of your creative self. You can keep updated on our work and follow us at 64 Million Artists on Instagram, 64 Million Artists on Facebook and at 64M underscore artists on Twitter.